Welcome to Charisma Connection. This is Steve Green, and we're live here in the Charisma Podcast Network studio. And today, by way of telephone, we're interviewing, we'll just call him Track Johnson. Is that how y'all would like to be called, or would you rather me introduce you independently? That is just fine. We would like to let everyone know, though, that the name Track Johnson was coined by our daughter, who came up with that name because it was so hard to get us separated from each other for lunches and dinners, and so they just started calling us Track, and we decided to make that our pen name. But actually, we are Tree. That's me. And I'm Jack. Good. So now we have that covered. Let's talk about this book that you've written. The name of the book is Winds of Eternity. It's called The Angel Chronicles, the beginning of a, of a series of books that you're going to write about the angelic host. And why don't you give us, before we go in depth, give us a elevator ride, and I got a very short elevator ride, but an elevator ride description of your book. Okay, I will be happy to do that. And the book is actually from the angel's point of view, mm-hmm. the first five chapters of Genesis. And these angels, a special troop that's uh, handpicked by the sovereign to watch creation occur and then to minister to man. And so we follow from creation through Lucifer and his actions, which were so evil, the way that he disrespects our sovereign and... We go right through until the end of Adam. And so it covers those areas in depth. And we cover some of the purposeful silences that are apparent in the first five chapters of Genesis. That's really good. Purposeful silence. Why do you think the Bible was purposefully silent about what you're writing about? Yeah, that's a good question. What I have found through the years, I've been walking with the Lord since I was 18 years old. I was uh, born again during the hippie revolution a few years back. <laughs> and over time, you begin pondering what that, what that silence really means. And, and we believe that the silence is as much a part of the Word of God as the written Word. Okay. So that there is a real purpose there, and... Actually, most of that silence, we think, can be understood when you know the rest of the Scriptures. Yes. So there's verses in later in Scripture that actually answer what some of that silence is. So before we go deep, tell me one reason for, for our listeners. We've got many listeners to this podcast. Tell me one reason why a person is going to want to hear this interview and to read your book. What really I think is important about this book is it gives a person who's reading it a sense of the reality of the kingdom and let them experience it. We, we say in the book that heaven has to be experienced to be understood, hmm. and we are providing that experience. All right, so the first question I think that is important is, tell me what an angel is. What is an angel? Scripture tells us, and we know very little about them before the Genesis creation story, but it seems obvious that they have been around for a very long time. God's eternal, and those that is ministering to him and now to man would have been there a very, very long period of time, and it's a fruitful 
place to look into because they've been here and served God to the point where they know him, they think, inside and out, and yet they're discovering new things. And in in our book, they discover that there's another being that actually can be on the stage and that they get to know and understand. Or they try to understand. That's one of the um, points of the book is their learning about man and what the Lord meant when he created him. Okay, so how does an angel go bad? You know, what what causes an angel? Do they actually have freedom of choice? Can they do bad things? And uh, obviously there was a great expulsion of the one-third. What what went wrong? How do angels go bad? Well, it appears, a read in, in Scripture, that right now, presently, they're sealed and we address what that's like in our book and explain it in, in pretty graphic terms. Mm-hmm. But prior to this, they had a relationship with God, and a certain group of them began to believe that God was keeping secrets and hiding something from them that was a secret sin kind of thing. And we think that is the beginning, uh, you know, the seed that started Satan thinking, if God isn't really what he claims to be, then I can ascend to that throne. And then, of course, once you start thinking that way, and and humans do it all the time, it becomes a progression of wrong decisions until you sin. So angels can sin? Oh, yes. Well, they have. uh, Lucifer and his horde did, in fact, sin. They were so prideful, they thought... They could take over heaven, and of course, with heaven, everything else that there is in the universe, and uh, that will not happen. So there was a fight between the angels, right? The one-third versus the two-thirds, or at least they were fighting angels, is that correct? Yes, there had to have been a battle of some sort. You know, God being all-powerful, all-knowing, would have had foreknowledge that this was going to happen. But he deals with his creation in present tense a good bit of the time, so he would have anticipated or foreknew, really, it was going to happen, but he would have had angels prepared ahead of time to take this on when it happened. Mm -hmm. It's our contention, actually, that Satan, or Lucifer, was surprised that all the angels of heaven didn't join him, only a third did. His arrogance would have led him to believe that they're going to follow me, all of them. And, of course, that didn't happen. We know from Scripture that only a third of them, which is a considerable amount, but not all of them followed him. So do you have any thoughts about whether or not this is an ongoing process? Do angels continue to have problems? Are there angels being kicked out? Any, any longer? What do you think? Well, I, I'm comfortable believing that they're sealed. They, okay. In their present state, Satan is eternally doomed, and his followers are eternally doomed. There's no coming back. They're past the tipping point. The angels of light that minister to us and to God and sing these wonderful songs over the throne are sealed in his service. They voluntarily chose that. You know, around the time of the battle is what we reason out. 
And so now they're fully committed. They have a covenant relationship of some kind with the Father. But at one point, they did have freedom of will, but out of love and respect and honoring God, they chose to give that up. And it is our contention that angels are ever-learning, ever-growing. Mm. And so we show that in the book because we represent to the reader a personal relationship with the angels that we're talking about. They get to know them. They get to know who they are, what they are, some of their reactions. And we have had some readers who have actually said to us, this one or that one, that's my favorite. Hmm. So they actually build a relationship with the angels that we describe in the book. And the book, the story is narrated by one of the angels, the leader mm-hmm. of his particular troop, and that is the troop that was assigned to man. Okay, so I know the Bible tells us that angels attend church because they're trying to study the wisdom of God, that they're sitting with us in, in church services. And they're observing church, trying to understand why God is doing it this way. Do you believe that? Oh, absolutely. In, in fact, I've, and there's recordings online, but I've heard angels singing uh, on a recording of, at a church that was made during a church service. Wow. And so, yes, they would have to be listening in and joining in. Okay, so that that's so intriguing, just the angels in the now, right? It's not... Angels of the Past, as though I'm reading a history book with you, even though you're recording an event of the first five chapters of Genesis that are historic, it, it does give the reader insight into angels of the now. Do you agree with that? Oh, I would definitely agree with that. The angels, of course, in our story, were learning because man was just recently created, but, mm-hmm. but we don't believe that, that angels knew everything all at once. The Scripture talks about angels having to look into things, that they yes. desire to do that. Yes. And it is on that scripture we base the book, that angels learn, that angels gather knowledge. Part of what makes them so great and grand is their desire to know something new that is about God's kingdom. And we actually do know people that claim they have seen angels. Sure. Some of the stories are absolutely fascinating. In fact, uh, we have a section on our website that we get stories in and tell stories, relate stories that we have heard from folks who say they have, in fact, been visited by angels. And, of course, we know that in the New Testament it is even mentioned that we should entertain strangers because... That we entertain angels unaware. We, that's literally yeah, that's how right. I read. Exactly. It's in, in fact, Hebrews. why don't you quote that? It's in Hebrews. Yeah, it's, it's, in, right, Hebrews. it's in Hebrews. Yeah, it, it, um, it's clear from Scripture that the New Testament writers were well aware of angels. The caution in this, and we were very careful in the book, We didn't want to write anything and present anything that would lead people to glorify angels or worship them or become involved in that kind of relationship with these creatures, because that is so deceptive and dangerous when you do that. 
Yes. So it was a challenge to write about angels and use them in the narrative without making them bigger and grander than what they truly are. Well, we know they're big and grand. Michael was huge. Yeah. Obviously, easy to look at. But, you know, we get back to this angel war, and I've been thinking about it a lot in the last 24 hours and, you know, preparing for this interview and thinking about what our readers would want to know. And I think one of the first questions we were talking about in our cubicles and looking around at each other is, how do angels fight? Like, does somebody get a black eye and fall down? And, you know, how do angels go at it, sir? (laughs) What do you see? Yes, it's interesting you mention that, because that is one of the questions we set out to answer. And the the true answer isn't going to be in this first book. It's in a future book. Oh, tell me. Come on. Tell me about it. (laughs) But I will give you this. Angels can't bleed. You can't cut off their hands. You can't kill them. What good is a sword? The question is, what does that warfare look like? Right. And if you think about it, and I think, Doctor, you'll agree with this, they fight with words. Enemy, Satan's mm. attack on us is with words. That's powerful. And I think angels fight. I think that's the answer. They, they use the word of God to battle Satan. We see it in graphic terms of wrestling and swords and shields and all of that. But the actual conflict is words. And it's, it's much the same as you see lawyers in the courtroom going at it. Mm-hmm. So. That, anyway, that's what our thinking is. So they're not about sticks and stones, even though they carry a sword. Right. Right? So what's the point? Right. Why are we so graphically, do we see angels almost, you know, in every description of, of an angel, we see a sword. Somehow or another, they're with swords. What, is that representing the Word of God in, in your mind? I believe that that is representative of the Word of God. I think, in my mind anyway, and this is not doctrinal that I know of, any, that, but what we see or we think we see when we have an encounter may not be the actual, literal object that we think we saw. Because everything while we're in the body is filtered through our own belief system. So if you're thinking that an angel looks a certain way and you encounter one, if the purpose of that encounter from God's point of view allows it, you're going to see that angel the way your perception sees them instead of as they actually are. That's good. So therefore, if that is true, then the battles that are fought are appear to us maybe like wrestling matches, and, and in some books and some writers, they're just grand battles, and I think they are, but the, the way the battle actually took place may not be as we have seen it. Well, it's interesting how Hollywood stories up an angelic visitation, or there's been an entire TV series based on angels. Apparently, we are all fascinated with the, the possibility of angels. You don't see a whole lot of movies on evil, I mean, it's always there, but there's so much interest in the angelic host. What do you think about what Hollywood has done with angels? I think that's very much like so many of the things that Hollywood messes around with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get an idea. It's uh, pretty much the same kind of thing when they depict the saints. They all look a certain way. People nowadays think that Moses looked like Charlton Heston. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. Once yeah. Hollywood gets their fingers on it, that seems to take on a life of its own. We do know, though, from the Word, 
that angels are huge because every time they have appeared, yes. Gabriel, for instance, the angel says, do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. So evidently there is um, an essence of their image that is frightening because of size, stature, and so on. Right. So as, as we look at an angel, what do you think it is that causes the fear? Is it the overwhelming presence? I mean, maybe it's the size, maybe it's the facial features. Something is causing fear. What's your conjecture on that? What I have come to believe is that part of it is the size, part of it is the unexpected or unanticipated realization that here's a a creature that is unique. And the other thing I think it is is the, the sheer power that they carry when they move, because when they act, the angels of light act, they have such power that projects from them that it, it just affects the humans totally. Okay. Well, it sure is biblical. I mean, it, we know that almost any sighting, they say, don't be afraid. Yeah. That's right. I think one place where that is not so is when Abraham is sitting outside his tent and these three angels come up to him, and he invites them to join him for lunch. Hmm. That's intriguing, particularly yes, in the context. Yes, quite. I mean, I'm, I'm reading Scripture differently after reading your book. I mean, it's making me think about things I haven't thought about, and that's really a, a good reason to read the book, to expand our minds, to think. And, and so I've got to ask this question before I move on. If Steven Spielberg comes to you and says, I like this Chronicle series, I get it, I want to write a screenplay, or I want you to write a screenplay. Do you think this transfers to the screen? Can we help? Is this a good Christian movie? I think it can be. We've had several individuals tell us that it it reads that way to them. So that is always a possibility. Um, Of course, it's flattering to think somebody might do that. But our interest is just doing what God is asking us to do and let him make those kind of decisions. Good. We'd reach a lot of people with it, though. It'd be the kind of movie that people would attend. Yeah, we think so. We think so. One of the things that we have been told by some of our readers is that they want to bring in a, one of their book clubs, and they would like a companion book so mm. they can actually study what we have in the book. And so we are working on putting together a companion book for study so that people that want to get together and read the book together have a way to go and mm-hmm. questions that they can ask and try to answer. One of the things that we've been told, Dr. Green, is that once having read the book, there is the feeling I should read it again because yep. uh, it's got so many layers that perhaps if I read it again, I'll find more, and we've been told that they have, which is very heartwarming. And that's a good segue to another thing I want to ask you. There are a lot of layers. There's a lot of side stories, which makes the book such an interesting read. One of the side stories that intrigued me is this great love story. And, Tree, I know that you've got a lot of thoughts on it. You know where I'm going with this. What do you think about Adam and Eve and uh, the great love that Adam demonstrated for her? Why don't you talk to our listeners about that? I think that one of the things that we have uh, referred to as the purposeful silence is the relationship that Adam and Eve had. Mm -hmm. They were truly in love. And we talk about the first time that Adam awakens and sees her. The first time 
Adam sees Eve, of course, is after that deep sleep when the Lord took his rib and from his rib made this creature, this beautiful creature, and we describe that. We also talk about the relationship and how they depended upon each other and then how it changed after the fall and what occurred during that moment Mm. when the decision was made to take of the fruit. And so we discuss that. That's good. There is a moment. There is a moment of the fall, and everything changed in a blink of an eye. That's right. And it was the world stopped Mm. when that occurred, Mm -hmm. and everything changed. And we still bear the bite of that fruit. So the love story, Adam's decision to follow her. Tell us about that. What do you think? What? Why did he do what she did? Well, I don't want to give the book away. So. <laughs> oh, we got to read it. Oh, yeah, I respect that. You have to read but it. But the thing, there, there was definitely a decision that he had right. to make, and you know there is that second, that mm-hmm. flash when a decision has to be made, and we go through that every day. We make those kinds of decisions. And we talk about the decision that he had to make in the book. Well, I won't give away yeah, the I answer. Think for, uh, one thing to think about is that instant when Eve has eaten and Adam has not. There's right. a there's an instant or a period of time there that Scripture doesn't tell how you know how much time it was. But in kingdom terms, it could have been a very long time. A second is a long time in kingdom terms. But at that point, Eve had been deceived, the Scripture teaches us, but Adam, when he ate of it, did so willfully. And I think from that is an interesting observation to make, because for a moment, Eve is in sin, and Adam is not, and he's looking at her, and he would know... Enough, enough. So what would have happened? I think your listeners have to read the book to find out. Yeah, and I won't tell you, but it's somewhere around page 193. <laughs> <laughs> so, I okay, mean, page 193. No, start there. Start there. I know where it is. I'm not going to I'm going to honor your request. But but I want <laughs> I want to consider I want to go down this path. It's a little bit longer. What if Ad, sure. Adam had not sin had still entered, right? Well, she would have sinned. It it raises, you know, an interesting uh, question there. What would have happened if Adam had not? Hmm. And, of course, God in his foreknowledge knew what Adam's decision would be, which is always fascinating to think about. My belief would have been that if we were going to write an account saying, what if Adam said, no, I'm not going to eat of it, it would have changed everything. But the core of this is the relationship Adam and Eve had. It was a godly relationship. It was a God-institution union between two people. And I think that element, that, that reality that he couldn't be separated from her, affected the decision he made made and it it rounds out the story yes and of course their love affair did last more than 800 years man that's a long time to stay committed yeah (laughs) (laughs) they must have been in love must have been in love 
Right. So what we have in the book is a love story as well as a reverence for the word. Yes, I, I totally agree. And it's so well written. I think people will be fascinated. It, I don't like to call books page turners because everyone says that. But I'm interested in what's going to happen next. I, I, I am. And I'm looking forward to your next book. So we've been listening and talking with Jack and Tree Johnson about a fascinating book called Winds of Eternity, the beginning of the Angel Chronicles. We learn a lot about angels. We have a, just a fascinating story that we're sitting in bleachers uh, listening to two great writers tell us about it. I want to thank both of you for being a part of this podcast. And why don't you tell us real quickly where we can find this book easily? Barnes & Noble online and, of course, Amazon online, sure. and also on our website, which is www.windsofeternity.com. And, by the way, we do blog on our website, and we have some very interesting information coming through that we refresh all the time. So come and check us out online. Okay, let me repeat that website just for our listeners. Winds of Eternity. It's winds, plural, of eternity.com. And sounds like there's a lot of goodies. I'm going to go check it out myself. What a fascinating interview. You two are uh, really doing good work for the kingdom. I enjoyed your book, and I appreciate it so much. Anything that you'd like to say before we go? Well, we just want to thank you, Doctor, for having us on, and thank those that follow up and indulge in the story that we've written. Well, I hope they don't miss this book. It's fun, it's interesting, it's intriguing, and it makes me want to study more. And that's a great compliment for your, your writing. Thank you for your book. Thank, Thank you. you. You've been listening to Charisma Connection. This is Steve Green. God bless you. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible. <laughs>